Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. Continuing our study through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, we're kind of winding down because we just have one more chapter after this. We've been looking at this letter over the past months. And we also have been in a bit of a transition because Paul has changed his topic a bit in these last four chapters. He's been dealing with a couple of things. One is his own personal testimony and story. Some of the experiences that he has had in ministry, as he's called by God. And uh, we talked about his resume last week or the past couple weeks. And a resume, if you've ever filled one out, you applied for a job, you want to put all the best things about you on it, right? All your skills and knowledge and experience and education. Well, Paul also had a challenge in the church in Corinth because there were many false teachers and false leaders who on the outside looked really good, but they were very prideful and arrogant. They were glorying in their own successes instead of promoting the glory of Christ. And so Paul didn't put his successes on his resume. He put his weaknesses. He put his infirmities or his persecutions or his trials or his sufferings. Because Paul has said at least three times now in this letter that he would rather boast or celebrate his weaknesses so that the strength and power of God could be perfected in his life. And we're going to see that continue on into uh, the chapter that we're going to read today, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And the title of the message today is A Vision of Paradise. And uh, if you've ever read this book or you're familiar with the story, we know that in this chapter Paul talks about a vision that he had of a third heaven, a vision of the throne room of heaven. And this vision also is connected with a trial or a, a difficulty that, that he experienced in life. And so what we see in this chapter is that Paul learns humility through life's hostilities. Humility isn't something that we naturally gravitate towards. It's not something that uh, is a natural characteristic of ours, especially in these physical, fleshly bodies. But God taught Paul valuable lessons through the hostilities and the pain and the trial and the difficulties of life. And uh, he learned that humility, and he also passes that on to us as an example. He teaches us this in this chapter. And just a very simple outline as we read through this chapter. Uh, you can jot these down uh, in your notes or on the side of your Bible. Or maybe if you have our Corinthians journal, you can do that there as well. But first, we're going to see Paul describe his exquisite revelation. This vision that he has of the throne room of heaven. Secondly, we're going to see Paul talk about the excruciating humiliation that he experiences through what he calls the thorn in the flesh. This is a trial or a difficulty. And I think there's many things that we can take away from Paul's uh, lessons and examples that we can identify with uh, as well in our lives. And then thirdly, we're going to see Paul describe his extravagant affection and love that he has for the church as a parent, uh, that he he feels like he's a, a spiritual parent to these children that he has in the church in Corinth. So uh, we're going to jump into chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, It is doubtless 
not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows how he was caught up into paradise. Everyone say paradise. This is the word Paul uses to describe this third heaven or this throne room of heaven. And heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So, in these opening verses, Paul describes this person really in the third person. And most scholars believe, especially in the context of the following verses, where Paul describes that these visions are, and revelations are connected to the trial and the thorn that he personally is experiencing, is that Paul is talking about himself. Now, we don't know exactly what, uh, th- when this occurred. Uh, in fact, he is very reluctant to talk about this experience. In fact, he says 14 years ago. So this is the first time in 14 years that Paul brings up this revelation and this vision. Now, this is not the first vision that we see men or women in the scriptures have of God or even the throne room. We think of Isaiah, who has the vision of the throne room of heaven. We also think of uh, the apostle uh, John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he had this vision. Now, he saw the throne room of heaven and the, the sea of glass and the cherubim and the angels and the elders throwing down their crowns and worshiping and honoring and glorifying God and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So there, John was told to pick up a pen and write these words, but Paul was so amazed by what he saw that it left him speechless. And uh, You know, every single person who had a vision or an encounter or an experience such as this in the scriptures, we see them fall down in reverence and in awe before the Lord, completely broken and undone. When you see the holiness and the purity and the majesty and the power and the might of God in his throne room, there's no other response that we can have but to fall down. And yet there are some who might receive visions and and revelations of God, and they begin to promote those things, and they share them. Now, it's, it's okay to share things that God teaches you, but my initial reaction would be to write a book, or to post it on Facebook, or to share it with people, or to give testimony at church. Think of this amazing vision that I had from the Lord. The Lord spoke to me. Now, God still speaks to us in visions. He speaks to us in dreams. He speaks to us in revelations, but Paul is a great example of someone who kept that close to his heart. He didn't promote it so that he could be promoted. In fact, it's 14 years later. Now, we don't know exactly what event occurred that produced this type of vision. But in the previous chapter, Paul says, all he describes all of the sufferings and persecutions that he experienced on death's doorstep many times, being stoned and left for dead. Uh, In one instance, being beaten and uh, being left for dead, imprisoned as well. And so... We don't know exactly what event, maybe what we would call an out-of-body experience is what Paul is describing here. 
And it's not for us to understand exactly what was occurring because even Paul says, I don't even know. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, it was this spiritual thing. It was caught up into the third heavens. And basically, that phrase means that he was in the presence of God. And uh, it was kind of a, a way of describing the distinction between the atmosphere that, and the sky that we see where the, we breathe the air and the birds that fly versus the uh, outer space and the galaxies being the second heaven, but the third heaven being this place where God's presence dwells. It's a, a place uh, of, of the throne room of heaven and this beautiful picture. So Paul describes this exquisite revelation, but the lofty visions that Paul has of God left him very lowly and very humble. In fact, even in third person, he didn't even want to talk about it. However, he brings this up to connect it very closely with the suffering and the trial and the thorn that he describes in the, pre- in the following verses. He connects that with what God is teaching him and uh, these lessons that he is learning. And so he's reluctant to share about this throne room. But this vision that he has of, of heaven leaves him completely speechless. We don't know the words that were spoken it could be words of the angels singing and praising God. It could be words of Jesus speaking to Paul very specifically. Because we know that Paul also said during his missionary journeys he felt alone and isolated and even abandoned. That all people had left him but the Lord Jesus Christ stood with him. And maybe you can relate to something like that. Maybe you're going through an experience in life where you feel like everyone is scattered from you. And yet Jesus says I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And there are words that God speaks to us in the quietness of our hearts or behind closed doors that we have these visions and revelations and God reveals things to us and speaks to us that sustain us through some of life's most difficult and challenging circumstances. In fact, what we see in Paul is that while he was in the deepest of pits, Paul had the highest of praise. He was able to praise the Lord and honor the Lord, and celebrate even the miseries that he experienced. You know, I came across a quote by Charles Spurgeon in studying these chapters that said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And I thought, wow, that really describes not only what Paul is experiencing, but also what we can experience in life. As the waves of life would throw us, how can we kiss and cherish the pain well, we can only cherish the trial uh, and uh, celebrate the trial if we really understand the trade-off. And the trade-off is that God is working a far greater thing in our lives, the godliness and purity and holiness. And so Paul is just this wonderful example of someone who goes through these pains and these sufferings, but experiencing it in this third heaven that uh, is a revelation and this revelation was also a lesson. We see this in the following verses. Look at verse 7. Paul says, And because of these visions, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Notice he's speaking in first person now. These revelations now connected to Paul's specific experience. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Everyone say thorn. So we begin with a throne, and now we have a thorn. And isn't life like that? We can go from the highest of highs, God just speaking wonderful mercies of his word to us, but then there's these jabs 
there's these pricks, there's these pressures, there's this hardship. And, uh, and yet, as he experiences this thorn and pain, Paul says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three, three times that it might depart from me. Now everyone say pleaded. This is an urgency. Paul is very uh, urgent about his prayer. Anyone experience something like that? When you are going through pain and you are just on your face before the Lord. You are crying out. There's wonderful verses uh, in Psalms, Old Testament, New Testament, across the board that talk about how when we call upon the Lord, he will answer us and show us great and mighty things that we do not know. That God is near to the brokenhearted and saves such as has a crushed spirit. That God inclines his ears to those who cry out to him. Our prayers do not need to be long. They not, do not need to be eloquent. They do not need to be even theological. When we cry out for help, God moves on our behalf. God is faithful. He loves you with an everlasting love. We actually just sang part of that in our worship songs. And so understanding this pleading and this crying, you see, Paul initially wanted the pain to be removed. But God had a different plan for Paul. Sometimes he might have a different answer for us even when we plead. Look at verse 9. And he said to me, notice, there is an answer. Sometimes that answer doesn't come when we want the answer to come. Sometimes that answer is not the answer that we're looking for. However, it's the best answer and it's the best timing. And God will answer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now everyone say grace. That's a good word to say. I love that. It's God's grace. It's his unmerited favor. It's his love and his mercy being poured out to us, not because of what we've done. And we think, well, you know, I've ruined it because of things that I've said or things that I've done. And God couldn't love me. Uh, But that could be further from the truth when we read the scriptures. Because God's love is not based on what we have done. It is based on what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing more that we can add to the work of Christ in securing not only the salvation and the forgiveness of sin, but also the restoration of a life that has been broken and beaten and bruised because of the pain that we experience. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, because of this, because of the answer that Paul received, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. That's a big change from Paul's pleading for the removal of the pain to the pleasure that this gift brought him in his life. He realized that God had a bigger purpose in the thorn and in the pain. Therefore, I take pleasure in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friend, let those words sink deep into your heart today. If you can even remotely identify with what Paul is talking about. There are treasures that no man or no thing can give your soul. When you are thrown against very dangerous and very precarious cliffs of life. You see, Paul received a rebuke. And that rebuke was to humble him. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't normally think about Paul being a weak person. If you've read the New Testament 
and you've read about Paul's missionary journeys, Paul uh, does not come across as weak. However, sometimes the most content Christians hide the most contentious conflicts. You never know what is going on in a person's life. You might think, wow, this person's really got it together. They're really close to God, and uh, they, they know all the answers, and nothing phases them. But do you realize that every single person, if you just peel back the layers of their life, could have a contentious conflict that is raging inside of them? It was no different for the Apostle Paul, who gave himself, who was spent and loved so endlessly and dearly for other people. Sometimes that's hidden because we don't know exactly what's going on in people's lives. And Paul chooses this word thorn, the thorn in the flesh. It's kind of a figure of speech. And uh, sometimes when we think about a thorn, we think of like a little prick. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that. Move on. No. In fact, the word being used here is like a tent stake. It's not a thumbtack. It's a tent stake. Something like intense, a big spike. It was the idea of a major affliction, not a minor irritation. So this was a serious thing that Paul was experiencing. And we don't know exactly this heartache and this pain that he was. You know, Paul doesn't go into detail. We're not told about it. But uh, I love that God's response here in the scriptures is that, you know, God doesn't say my grace is sufficient for Paul. Notice he says my grace is sufficient for you. Of course, he's talking to Paul. He's responding to his prayers. But I I love how Every single word in God's answer to Paul drips with personal application for our lives. When you would just break down, I think we could spend weeks, if not months, just looking at what God has said about his grace. It's my grace. Just look at my. The strength and the grace and the mercy and the contentment that uh, we can have in the horrors of life are coming from God and from God alone. But it's also his grace. And God's grace expresses his favor and his love. God's grace is also available any time that you need it. And God's grace is powerful to sustain you in your weakness. My grace is. Notice that God doesn't say, my grace was, my grace will be. He says, my grace is. It's a present tense. In whatever You are encountering right now in life, present tense, right now, reality. God's grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient means that there's nothing else that you need. There's nothing else that's going to satisfy. There's nothing else that's going to complete you. It's the grace of God, the strength of God. My grace is sufficient for you. Friend, would you make this statement personal in your life today? Maybe you can relate to Paul. Are you sustained? by the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ in the thorns. Now, we're also told something very interesting about this thorn. We don't know what it is, but we can maybe speculate a little bit. We could think that Paul is talking about spiritual warfare because he encountered a lot of that. Maybe that was the thorn in the flesh. Maybe the thorn for Paul was physical ailments. We know that potentially he suffered from uh, physical uh, sicknesses and diseases. Or it could have been the perpetual persecution that he experienced because of the ministry that God called him to. It could have been uh, carnal temptations that Paul encountered that he just wanted gone. But it also could have been the mental anguish that he experienced because of these trials and persecutions. We don't know, but I think 
at some point in our lives, we all can identify with some of that. Maybe you, your thorn in the flesh, your uh, difficulty and trial is a spiritual warfare. It could be a physical sickness or disease or a, a persecution or a trial or temptations or anguish of the soul. But Paul says that God's grace is sufficient. And uh, Paul was very serious about this thorn. And we know that this thorn for Paul was actually sourced from Satan himself. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul talks about Satan. He talks about the deception and the lies and the trickery, uh, the tri- tricky tactics of Satan in the ministry and in the church and in teaching as well. The temptations that uh, Satan will bring against us. But we also see that Satan is like a roaming lion and also a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. Some of the things that I read here in this chapter remind me of Job in the Old Testament. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. Most people are because it's um, very broad in the sense of suffering and persecution. But Job was a righteous man in all of his generation. And uh, one day Satan came into the throne room of heaven and God said to Satan, where have you been, Satan? As if God didn't know where he was. But uh, apparently Satan goes back to and fro throughout the earth And uh, he's looking for people to take down. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Meaning God had trust in Job that his faith was so secure that no matter what suffering or trial that Job would experience, he wouldn't deny God. And uh, it was very serious. In fact, the only power that Satan has is given to God. It's given by God. And uh, Satan was given permission to bring physical sickness and Uh, Job lost all of his worldly possessions and his body was inflicted with sores from the top of his head down to to the bottom of his feet. And he was trying to make sense of all this pain and persecution that he was experiencing. And yet he realized in the end of the story that God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His purpose and his plan are good and I can trust and I can praise him because he's so mighty and so powerful. And Paul here expresses some of the similar things when he's going through his persecution because Satan is coming against him. And uh, these are, in fact, ways that Satan comes against us. In fact, he uses the word, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. In fact, this word buffet means to punch. It's kind of like a, like a punching bag, like a boxer. So Paul is basically saying that Evander Holyfield... Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali are just going to town on me. It's like a sucker punch. And I don't know if you've just been living your life and things have been going just kind of normal. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you just get punched in the gut. Punched in the spiritual gut. And you lose your breath. And you get disoriented. And you're, you're back against the ropes. And you feel like you're going to fall and you've got... You want to throw in the towel and just call it. And it's just like, I don't want to fight this anymore. That was Paul the Apostle. Constantly being hit and punched. Sucker punched from behind. Body blow, head blow, body blow, head blow. Man, can you imagine experiencing something like that? And Paul was pleading and he was crying and he was begging. In fact, he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Now, I can imagine Paul probably praying more than three times. In fact, some of the scholars say that this was a figure of speech to basically describe that Paul was continuously and just ongoingly praying and pleading, God, would you take this away? Have you ever prayed that prayer? 
Have you ever just cried out to God when life just sucker punches you and your back is against the ropes and you feel like you're going to be knocked out and you call out to God, God, would you just remove this thing from me? Would you take it away? And each time Paul prayed this prayer, he got the same answer. But it took, apparently, three times for Paul to accept the answer. Oh, man, that's just like me. It's just like me to say, nope, okay, I must have been bad pizza. I don't know. The zip line from last week just really threw my equilibrium off. I'm not hearing God right. No, that's not. It couldn't be possible. But see, our desperate prayers, similar to Paul here, makes us dependent upon God. It makes us dependent We say, God, I just need you, your strength and your grace. It's okay to just cry out to God in desperation because desperation creates a dependency that is so urgent in our lives that we find the source from the Lord Jesus Christ. But friend, listen, this is important. It is possible that God's answer is different than the prayer you're asking. It's possible that the answer is different from the prayer you are asking of God. And the wonderful place to be is when we're crying out upon Jesus and, uh, and he brings his sweet mercy and his grace and his strength and he sustains us because sometimes God is not going to remove the pain but give you antibodies or an infusion or a shot of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you through it, to mold you and to shape you Because God refused to answer Paul's prayer the way he was praying. And that made him even more dependent upon the Lord. So much so that Paul was able to change his perspective about his pain. You see, Paul eventually viewed his great grief as a gracious gift of God. Notice he says, and this gift was given to me. Wow, that's not a gift. I don't think pain is really a gift, but oftentimes... It is. And we cannot fully appreciate God's strength until we wholly accept our weakness. When we realize that we just can't get through this on our own. We can't do it. We tried and we failed miserably. But when we can wholly accept the weakness that we have, as Paul here describes, then we can fully appreciate the strength of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God in our lives. Is this not a beautiful testimony as well as an encouragement for us? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is there when you feel most weak. Now, Paul finishes this chapter and we'll wrap up here in talking about his love for the church and the ministry that he has for the church. We'll just skip down to verse 14 because Paul talks about how he doesn't want to boast and talk about himself anymore. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you. We, we've discussed over these past couple of months with this study that Paul has written a handful of letters to the church. He's also visited them two times. The first time was to plant the church during his second mission, excuse me, first missionary journey. The second time was a, a time that is not recorded for us in Scripture, but it was a, a painful experience for him. Now the third time, he wants to go back and visit them. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought to lay up for the parents. Excuse me. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So Paul uses this analogy to describe how he feels like he's a a spiritual parent. And if you're a parent, 
you know that you just want to do anything for your kids. And uh, even though they're 35 years old and they're still calling you for groceries or whatever, money, hey, send me this. I don't, probably not none of your kids, but uh, our kids are all, and what do we do as parents? Of course, we always are giving. Is that not just a parent's heart? No matter what our kids are going through. And Paul says, as a spiritual parent to my kids, they're at church. I am always going to love and provide for you. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. This really is the heart of a servant leader. Someone who is poured out. You see, ministry is not what you can get out of people. It's what you can make them into. Someone who would serve and, and build up and edify and encourage. He's going to spend his life. And notice what he receives in return. And uh, he says, I will be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. And did I take advantage of you by any of those who uh, I sent to you? Titus, our brother, was sent. And notice in verse 19, he goes on to say, But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Now Paul's concern and fear is at the end of this chapter. He says in verse 20, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions. Now Paul's going to talk about the issues that have plagued this church from the very beginning since his absence from them. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many of you who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, the fornication, the lewdness which they have practiced. So at the end of this letter, Paul talks about not only his great affection for the church, but also his concern that many of the things that he has been teaching and sharing are not going to produce change. And so he's encouraging the church to repent. But Paul talks about the miracles. He talks about the meekness that he has expressed in his relationship with the church. And as a parent, he is concerned for their souls. And this love is so very evident. Notice that... um, you know, Paul expresses this love without receiving any love in return. I guess we could once again talk about being a parent and uh, maybe with your kids being very young and you love and you serve and you give so much to your kids. Do you receive all of that love and appreciation and obedience immediately from your child? Oh, I see some of you like laughing and giggling. Why is that? Uh, Well, I can relate too because that's not naturally Uh, or immediately, or always, the response that we get from our kids. But Paul says, I'm not doing the things so that I can receive love from you, although that is a wonderful reciprocal relationship. No, a servant here, as Paul describes, has a motivation of edification in all interactions. In an interaction with a person, here or there, wherever, Paul's motivation In fact, he said it in his previous letter that the love of Christ compels me. God's love compels me to serve. God's love compels me in the calling that he has given me in the church. So, friends, as our worship team comes on up, I want us to be 
reminded of a few things that we can really tuck into our soul and into our heart from these scriptures. There are things that we can relate to in Paul's experience, not only in the great visions that he had. I believe that over this next week, if you get alone with God and you open up your Bible, his truth and his revelation to you, there are such deep treasures of words that God wants to express to you that no other human being can express. And those words are going to drip into your heart that may be experiencing a lot of confusion and uncertainty and fear and worry. But God is going to drip his mercy, his grace, and his love through his word. They're going to be inexpressible. You won't even be able to describe what God is doing in your life if you get together with him quietly, behind closed doors, with an open Bible, an open heart, and the Holy Spirit teaching you. That's a beautiful thing. But we also know that when we go from that closet of prayer, we walk into a world of pain. No one is immune to the pain that we experience in life, not even the Apostle Paul. But Paul says that there is a spiritual battle and a warfare that is raging for your soul and for your heart, that Satan wants to distract you and to destroy you. He wants to keep you from this relationship that you can have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, be consumed with media, social social media, television, whatever it is. Be consumed in your thoughts and uh, worried about so many other things if it can keep you distracted. But God is saying, I want you. I love you. Have a relationship with me. And my son, Jesus Christ, has done that for you on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever means anybody. doesn't matter the color of your skin, the language of your tongue, or the culture where you're from. Anybody can come to Christ. It's because of his grace and of his mercy. And today, if you've been brought here by a friend or you find yourself here in church listening to these words, then I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior or confessed your sin or you've been living your life in your own strength and you found that you've run your life into a ditch, well, there is hope for you today. There is good news for you today. And that good news is that Jesus Christ has done what you cannot do. He will forgive you and cleanse you and wash you. And let me encourage you, as we sing this song, to spend time talking with the Lord. And afterwards, if you're new to this whole church, God, Jesus, Bible thing, then one, you're in the right place, and two, just come and talk with us. Talk to the person next to you even if you need to. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you and support you in that decision to follow Jesus. But let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this chapter that is so real and so raw. And I know that not only in my heart, but across this room, that there are so many who have thorns, who have stakes being pounded into their hearts. And it's so very painful. And I pray that you would just minister to them with your grace. 
Help us to learn to celebrate and praise and kiss even these waves of pain that push us into the mercy of God. Your strength is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.